Hey, and welcome to Dictator for a Day. The podcast where we'd never propose having an actual dictator. I am Dennis Dean, and I am not a dictator for a day. It's more like imagining what you'd do if you won the lottery. What would you do if you were, in fact, dictator for a day? What would I do if I was dictator for a day? What will I do today? Well, I'll tell you that in just a moment. First, a little background for what it's worth. When I was an adjunct professor teaching crisis communications, crisis management, public relations at a small college in Wisconsin, I confronted my first and thankfully only clear case of plagiarism. It was very clear. I was reading through a stack of about two dozen assignments one evening at home, and these two particular papers stuck out like a pair of vultures at a canary convention. There were two students, two students working in tandem, The first paper plagiarized an online article I'd found because it became suspicious when I suddenly found a paragraph in there that just didn't seem like the earlier writing. The second paper was a plagiarized work of the first plagiary. You could actually see the progression and which one came second by the progression of grammatical errors. Well, the next day, I confronted them. I didn't! They feigned innocence. No! I didn't! I interrogated They denied. No! I persisted. They weakened. I showed them the evidence. No! Identical phrases, sentences, entire paragraphs, identical in their papers to an online article I showed them whose author had originated the concepts, thoughts, and verbiage about the time these two students would have been in kindergarten or grade school. Finally, they caved. They cried. They promised endless reparations beyond eternity. Hey, boss, I got a feeling Mr. Nice Guy's about to roll in. Hey, Sander, how you doing? I'm just waiting to hear the end of this adventure. Alas, being a kinder, gentler person at the time, I caved as well. I knew it. And did not fail them for the course. Their grades suffered, but they remained. Yeah, pushover. Well, I admit I was wrong. In retrospect, I did them no favor. They still passed the course because the rest of their work was well executed. I should have tossed them out, flunked them. Plagiarism is a capital offense in academia, and I should not have let a soft heart triumph over logic. I never heard from them again, so I don't know whether they went on to write bestsellers or they're currently editing for the New York Times. But they're not alone. There are plagiarists everywhere. As it turns out, many of them are working in a state capital near you. You can No, not at all. They are, as I call them, the legislative plagiarists. And they may be a plague upon our land. Why, this sounds serious. Well, it is. I mean, Sounder, you thought the legislators you elected in your state. Are going to work and talking to voters and looking around to find out what your state really needs. And then crafting laws that make it happen. The people you have duly elected are toiling the midnight oil, writing their little fingers to the bone to get that special law just right before offering it up to their legislative colleagues for a vote for you and your state. This is the American way. Now what's happening, huh, boss? Not even close. In many states, most of them, if you believe this article I'm about to start quoting, involve a phenomenon called copy-and-paste legislation. It is spreading across our fair land. 
State legislators are being lobbied not just to push special interest legislation, but to not even write the bills on their own. They are handed the bills. Virtually identical bills that make it into legislature after legislature after legislature, and that are actually being drafted by the special interest group for the legislator. Wow. Legislative plagiarism. It's actually called copy-and-paste legislation, copycat legislation, copycat bills, model bills in some instances. Now, there's an outfit called the Center for Public Integrity. Their tagline is investigating inequality. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, there are some people that would raise some eyebrows to that. But about three years ago, in 2019, the Center for Public Integrity reported that they had completed a two-year investigation with USA Today and the Arizona Republic. And what they claim in their report is that each year, state lawmakers across the U.S. introduce thousands of bills that are actually the creative work of not lawmakers, not the legislators themselves that we all elected, but that were actually written by corporations, industry groups, think tanks. The bills are called model bills because they are models copied by lawmakers in state after state. One bill serves as a model for many others. Now, if they're passed in enough states, it's like getting a federal law passed without ever going through the U.S. House and Senate and while bypassing a lot of public scrutiny and regulation. I thought there was something sneaky about it. Yeah, you're right about that. Center for Public Integrity claims they have found at least 10,000 bills copied almost entirely from these model bills and introduced in state legislatures over an eight-year period. More than 2,100 of them got signed into law. Well, that's more effective than I've been. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, and more effective than most people are at getting a law passed or defeating a law. You trust this outfit? The Center for Public Integrity? Yeah. I'm skeptical of most organizations. The bigger it is, the more powerful it is, the more it seems to wrap its objectives in the mantle of the holy cause, the more suspicious and the more skeptical I am. Trusted about as far as I can throw the organization. But even a broken clock keeps the right time, what? once or twice a day. If it's a good idea, you know, let's hear it out. And in this instance, I think they're making a valid point. They claim model bills, in reality copy and paste bills, that are passed into laws are not doing good things for the country in most cases. They claim they've made it harder for injured consumers to sue corporations. They claim they've called for taxes on sugar-laden drinks. You know, it gets in the way of people's right to choose. They claim they have limited access to abortion. They claim they have restricted the rights of protesters. But here's the real danger as I see it, and I think I'm in agreement with the Center for Public Interest on this part. State legislators who use these are not doing their jobs. Why well, doesn't sound like it. No. No. Not at all. The result, copy and paste laws, fill in the blank laws, amount to what is probably the country's biggest special interest campaign that is going entirely unreported in the manner that most special interest groups have to report, with the bills driving agendas in state houses across the country and touching many, many, many areas of public policy. What the? I'll get it, boss. Who in the... Hello there! It's copycat Bill, ladies and gentlemen, noted state lawmaker, legislative plagiarist, and bane of voters across his state. So, copycat Bill. That's my name. Copying's my game. So, Bill, how many of these copy and paste laws have you gotten passed? Dozens. Well, maybe hundreds. I got a suitcase here full of them. 
Gee, do you have to... Can you clean that up? <laughs> what a pile! I'll say. And why so many? Well, you know, for us lawmakers, the model legislation, really an easy way to get a fully formed bill to put my name on while I'm building relationships with lobbyists and other potential campaign donors. And, uh, you know, even though I, I've got enough campaign funds, I might never, ever get voted out of office. Doing all these copycat bills sort of almost guarantees me a cushy consultancy or a job with one of the outfits that gave me the copycat bill should I ever decide that I want to get out of public life. You're uh, kidding. No, not at all. I, you know, for, for, for special interests, they kind of kind of got to stay under the radar. And, and model legislation is offering some very distinct advantages. These bills don't appear on any expense reports. They don't appear on campaign finance forms. They don't require somebody to register as a lobbyist or sign in at a committee hearing. That's a sticky, icky business. And, and you know, and, and once a bill gets into the hopper and they're in the lawmaking process and they get passed, they can go viral. Sheesh. And they take care of these special interest agendas right down to the letter. And what do you get? And I got more lobbyist friends than I know what to do with. I mean, working at the Capitol can be a lonely job. You've also got more... Potential campaign donors. Yeah, yeah. That means I can build my campaign war chest, outspend any upstarts that want to take my seat, remain a powerful incumbent... Maybe vote myself some cushy pension and retirement benefits at, you know, at taxpayer expense. Bill, I'm looking at an old copy of USA Today, and um, I'm going to quote it here. It says its investigation found models are drafted with deceptive titles and descriptions to disguise their true intent. Oh, yeah. Some of these bills would never get passed if I had to say what they really did. I, you know, people just read the titles, and if it makes them feel good, they vote for them. Like the uh, Asbestos Transparency Act. Did that really help people exposed to asbestos? Uh, well, yeah, it was written by corporations who want to make it harder for victims to recoup money. You, you know, a lot of good businesses could go bankrupt paying out claims. And where would their employees be? Or their executives. Yeah, or their executives. Now, here's one called the HOPE Act. Oh, yeah, that was a goodie, one of my favorites. We introduced that, uh, friends of mine did, uh, in nine states. It was written by an advocacy group to make it more difficult for people to get food stamps. So uh, no, no hope at all in the HOPE bill? Well, for some people. No. Uh, what about this asbestos exposure bill? Well, that's another goodie. We, we brought in special interest groups that work some magic. I mean, they would make it look like the bill had expert endorsements and grassroots support. <laughs> they had a guy who testified as an expert in 13 states to support a bill that makes it difficult to sue for asbestos exposure. Let me read directly from the report. It says copied bills have been used to override the will of local voters and their elected leaders. Absolutely. Let me read that again. Copied bills have been used to override the will of local voters and their elected leaders. Absolutely. Same answer. All right. Here's another quote. Cities and counties have raised their minimum wage, banned plastic bags, and destroyed seized guns only to have industry groups that oppose such measures make them illegal with model bills passed in state legislatures. Also very true. It goes on. The report claims Airbnb has supported the Arizona-based Goldwater Institute, which promoted copy-and-paste bills to strike down laws limiting short-term rentals in residential neighborhoods. Yeah, we got that passed in four states that have really put the pinch on weekend Airbnb parties. You know, the, the, the ones with 50 or 100 people having a ball. You mean disturbing the peace and the neighborhood? Well, 
There are a lot of prudes around. You're talking about thousands of these bills nationwide. Yeah. What about the people who voted you into office, the ones you're supposed to represent? Eh? What about them? Bill, aren't you sort of like the poster child for term limits? Yeah, no worries there. No term limits for me. For there to be term limits for me and all my buddies at the state house, we'd have to pass a term limits law. <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. Um, I mean, me? I'm like that guy on a hunt for Red October. You know, the Jeffrey Peltz character. He said, uh, what do you say? I'm a politician. And when I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing their lollipops. Bill, you see that thing over there? All I see is the door. Don't slam it on the way out. Sheesh. Guy's got a lot of nerve. Yeah, he really takes the cake, boss. And everything else he can get his mitts on. Now, to be fair... I knew you... I knew you were going to come up with one of those. Well, you know, I want to balance things out and talk about both sides. Some of the copycat bills, copy and paste laws, might be beneficial. This report for the Center for Whatever goes on to say... Quoting again here, some bills were written to require sex offenders to register with law enforcement. That doesn't seem like a bad idea. Other bills have made it easier for members of the military to vote. That doesn't seem like a bad idea. Some have increased penalties for human trafficking. I mean, how bad could that be? What you really got to do is look deep into each bill and find out if that's what it really does. And what the center points out is, although they don't point it out, it's what I'm reading into it, is if you've got to look at each bill very closely to see what it really does. Boss, I, I, I don't know if a few good bills are really enough to justify this, this, this model bill copycat legislation thing. I think you're right, given that taxpayers are paying legislators to do a job. And a lot of them have been outsourcing that job. Yeah, it's a lot like during COVID, we found out a lot of medications are being made in China. That's a WTF moment. Sounder. It's a family show. Huh. Sorry about that, boss. So in many cases, as I see it, legislators are letting somebody else do the work for them. And in exchange, they get cushy relationships with lobbyists, potential campaign donors, and better prospects for a well-paying job or a consultancy after political life with the very organizations they're supposed to be watching out for on behalf of taxpayers. Gee, it doesn't seem to be working out so well. Well, you can say that again. Gee, it doesn't seem to be working out so well. Uh, you said that. So, if I was dictator for a day, I'd get rid of copy-and-paste legislation. Original bills only. And you got to prove why and who it benefits and who it hurts. Sort of a, a plus-minus scorecard. The other thing I'd do if I were dictator for a day, impose term limits. And listen, if you haven't listened to our Term Limits podcast, you really need to. More evidence of why term limits could eliminate or at least cut back on abuses like these. Because if you only serve one term, you don't have as much incentive to be paying attention to lobbyists and special interest groups. You can also read the Term Limits companion column. It's all at Dictator for a Day. .substack.com. The podcasts are also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You get a chance, scroll down, leave your comments. We'd really be interested in hearing from you. But listen, we got to go. For more of these podcasts and our written column, please subscribe to dictatorforaday.substack.com. That's dictatorforaday.substack.com. And tell your friends. Tip, the podcasts are more fun. I am Dennis Dean, and I am not a dictator for a day. Hmm, where'd my field cap and cigar go? Dictator for a Day is sponsored in part by StoryVisionVideo.com. Copyright 2022, Dennis W. Dean. That's me. All rights, but please feel free to spread the word.
and thanks for listening.